Well, good morning, Crossroads. It's great to see you this morning. I know you love your church. I love this church, so uh, I uh, would cut my summer break by a week just to come here and hang out, so thanks for letting me hang out with you for the weekend. And let me tell you a story. My son, one of my four kids, my 13-year-old, his name is Jake. Now, Jake was having his year-end band concert, and so the middle schoolers were all on the stage of the county performing arts center, about 750 seat uh, auditorium, and they were all on the stage getting final preparations, and they eventually let all the parents and the friends and the family begin to crowd into the place. The environment was rambunctious and boisterous and loud. You know how parents are. They're just they're unashamed. They're just yelling to try and get the attention of their kid. And so with all the noise, there's no way any of the kids could distinguish the voice of their parent. There were just too many competing voices. And so my son's at the back of the stage. He's in the percussion area. And at one moment, his head shot up like a soldier to attention. You know why? Because he heard his father's whistle. A distinctive whistle he has heard. You with me, man? Come on. So you got one of those? I, I have dad's whistle. I won't do it loud, but I'll just do a little. Okay, that, that done loud means dad's here, come near. That, that, that's just, that's what that means. He's been hearing that since he was two years old. That, that's in Walmart. When he hears it, he gets far in the house. You know, Dad, you're sitting in the chair. You don't want to move. I just whistle in the house, and all the kids know to come around. I know some of you think that's a Pavlov dog thing. No, no, that's just good parenting. So anyhow, so, 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 they, so they just know my voice. And, and as soon as I whistled, it distinguished it from all other voices in the room. And we locked eyes, and, and I gave him the thumbs up. And man, Dad is here to cheer you on. Now, I want you to take that snapshot right there, and I want you to carry that into Acts chapter 13. In the formation of the early church, when we became one under Christ, when a church in Antioch, not unlike a church in Cincinnati, was gathered together, they had a unique experience that I think was intended to transition to all of us, and I want to build it off from the picture I just presented, so to speak. So let me draw from Acts chapter 13, and let, re let me read regarding the church of Antioch. In verse 2 of chapter 13, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, let me pause there, the Holy Spirit what? Said. Say it together with me. The Holy Spirit what? Said. The Holy Spirit said. And in that moment, the church, their heads, so to speak, shot up like a soldier to attention because of the distinctive voice that they now know. Not out of regimen, no more than my son, but out of relationship. They had a distinct sense that the Father was present, that God was with them. And he spoke. It goes on. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Something distinctive was happening in the church at Antioch. They had discovered what was worth knowing 
and what was worth doing. And hear me on this. If you get a hold of the simply profound truth that the church of Antioch understood, it will change the way you do your faith walk. The way you walk with God, the way you see, the way you engage the world. In fact, it will change the way you do every day. It will move it from religion to revolution. It is dynamically different when you understood what was worth knowing and what was worth doing. And here's what was worth knowing. God has a voice. That's what's worth knowing. God has a voice. You're sitting there, you're, you're kidding me. You, you, you cut out of vacation for a week? You flew up here? What, am I supposed to write that down? God has a voice? Yeah, write it down. God has a what? A voice. And the Holy Spirit said, yes, God is, if you will, mysterious, mystical. Yes, God is spirit everywhere present. Yes, God seems to be somewhat elusive in our humanity, in our human nature in this world where it's material as well as spiritual. And on and on it goes. But God was communicating something. He was saying something for all of us to hear. Hey, hang on, hang on. I have a voice. I speak. I step into the world. I step into your world that I created. And I communicate with you. And once you know I have a voice, it will change the way you live. How did he speak to How did they hear him? Did his voice kind of boom in the room like you can hear me audibly? I doubt it. Although he's capable and he's done that. More likely by this point in the New Testament, he spoke by the Holy Spirit to the human spirit meaning that he woke them up spiritually. And so they had a sense of the impression of the Spirit upon them. But at that point, spiritually speaking, that's as audible as it gets, and God's clear about that. Now, hang on. Some people are like, okay, whatever. You hear voices. You don't? No, listen right now. Do you hear the voices? You know there are thousands of voices traveling through this room right now. Can you hear them? Some of you are disturbed, aren't you? You're like, I hope we didn't pay this guy. <laughs> well, well, now you know the reason we have a radio up here. Because there are voices. And if you just pull up the antenna, and you tune in, you'll discover there have been voices traveling through this room the whole service. You just didn't tune in. When the church was worshiping and fasting and praying, it was like putting up an antenna. They were simultaneously, get me, they were simultaneously tuning into God and tuning out the world in order to gain God's frequency so they could hear his voice. That's not so strange. We do it all the time with radios. Now, what's really going on right here is that you hear a whole lot of this kind of uh, white noise. And many of us would say, hey, that is how I hear spiritually. You say, you know what? When I try and connect with God, and get, I, I get a lot of white noise. And so what the church was actually doing is they were just trying to tune in. Close. There we go. Where's that voice been? Well, you would say that voice hasn't been in the room. Oh, yes, it has. It's been in the room the whole time that we've been sitting here listening. We just didn't tune in. Huh. 
And prior to this technology, people would say, you're nuts to suggest that voices are traveling through this room. Now it's just normal. If you can get the frequency and tune in. What if all God was saying is that once you discover that I have a voice, if you will now tune your life to my voice, you'll hear me. If you know that you can engage the living, loving God who created you, designed you, made you for himself, and has a great purpose for you and love to bless your life, when you know that and you discover he has a voice, it's not unlike the experience of Jake in the room. When you become familiar with the voice, when you grow to hear the voice and understand the voice, that is the voice that thumbs up, encourages you, and lifts you up. It changes everything you do. In fact, once you know that God has a voice, you will reset the things that are worth doing. And they're very simple. Dial in, dethrone, and do it. Dial in, dethrone, and do it. We've already touched on the dial in. It's, it, it's, it's more like perhaps, since many of us aren't tuning in with radios these days like we used to, how about the phone? How about the cell phone? All sorts of voices traveling through on waves. But you have to have the right number, don't you? And we were so used to this technology, we don't even think about how this technology actually works. You can get anybody's voice you want if you have the right frequency and phone number. Isn't that true? All you got to do is dial in. Our staff knows not to leave the door of their office open and their computer logged in because another staff member will come by, and if they see it, they will send an all-staff memo from your desk with your name, and nobody will really know if it's authentic or not, if it's really from you. So we're often uncertain, sometimes we're really clear. And, and so you just know not to do that. Well, Chris Etheridge made the mistake, and he had left his door open and his computer logged in, and his boss, Chris Huff, saw it. So he walked in, and since Chris Etheridge is over our facilities, he sent a memo out this last spring to all the staff. Since we'd moved in a new building and cool things are happening, he, he sent from Chris Etheridge, I know God's doing wonderful things. I'm excited, huge momentum, lives being changed. This is awesome. You are busy as a staff. I want you to know that I would personally love to come clean your office since you don't have time to spring spritz it. I'm gonna come clean your office personally right down to dusting it. You just sign up and I'll begin to clean it over the next several weeks. And the staff was excited till they found out that's not real. That's not gonna happen. The following Sunday morning, his boss, Chris Huff, his cell phone kept going off all Sunday, and he has to keep his phone on for a host of reasons, his responsibilities. He keeps answering these calls, and he's getting these kind of deep Georgia redneck uh, individuals on the other end. Yeah, hi there. I'd like to uh, pick up a couple of them there, uh, you know, Georgia bulldog puppies. You give them away there. How do I get one of them? I have no idea what you're talking about. It's a number I no, this wrong number. I have no idea. And he hang up. Man, this he keeps getting these phone calls, and finally he goes to Etheridge. He says, "Man, this is a weird morning. I keep getting phone calls about giving away these Georgia Bulldog puppies." He says, "I know. I I put your name on Craigslist along with your phone number." <laughs> he said, "And you didn't think I knew it was you who slipped in my office." Here's what Etheridge knew. All he had to do, all he had to do was give the right phone number and anybody could access Chris Huff's voice. Maybe that's what King David in the Old Testament, author of the Psalms, maybe that's what he knew 
when he wrote in Psalm chapter one. Get a hold of this, listen in. When he wrote, blessed is the man. Now who doesn't wanna have a blessed life? Who wouldn't wanna have a God-blessed life? Don't you want a God-blessed life and a God-blessed marriage or a God-blessed career or God-blessed finances, a God-blessed future and eternity? I mean, who doesn't want God blessing their life? If there really is a God and, and, and he really has the best force, who wouldn't want all the good that God has? And so when David's writing, he's saying, blessed is the man or the woman or the husband or the wife or the business person or the student. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the council Oh, oh, you get that right there? Blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the voices, who does not listen to the voices of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. He's just talking about the same thing we're talking about. Let's keep reading. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Or you could say, but he dials in on God's voice, the words of the Lord. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You know, I think David is really saying to us, I've figured it out in life. Once I knew that God had a voice, and sometimes he puts it in written form like the Bible, and sometimes the Spirit speaks to your spirit, but once I figured out that God has a voice, I now tune my life to dial in to his voice, because when you get beyond the white noise and you hear from God, you are now part of what God is doing on earth. You're part of the kingdom of God coming on earth. You're not part of religion. You're in a revolution of the daily adventure of what God is doing here and now. No wonder people are bored with God. If you don't hear his voice, it's just like you're all alone talking to the wall. But if you get beyond the white noise and you dial in, wait even to the small stuff of daily prompts that God places in our lives. Huh? You see, once you know God has a voice, and some of you, going to have to ask the question as you leave, what if all this time you've been saying there is no God, there is no voice? And really all that's missing is a radio. Because for many of us, the breakdown is that we don't dial in. That's why each morning is a rule when I wake up before I even crawl out of bed. I just whisper a prayer of some form like this to the Lord. Because I just want to confess what is true. Because before I get all the voices of the world telling me what I should be thinking and hearing that day, dominating, corrupting, and, and filling my head, I just want to say, you know what, Lord, in this day, I know I'm predominantly a spiritual being wrapped in a material body. That I was created for you. That your voice will be present today if I'll stay dialed in. That you will do it in normal ways in this day, so I want to pay attention to you. I'll often grab a Bible and read sections of scripture. Why? Because I want to meditate on it. I want it in my life. I want to know what God is saying. That's all tuning in, dialing in. Sometimes it breaks down because we fail to dial in. Sometimes it's another issue. Sometimes we just like to hear our own voice. Sometimes the truth of the matter is we like to set our own agenda. We're a bit willful. Anyone? Anyone going to? Okay, if not you, how about your neighbor? How about the person you're sitting next to? Okay, how, okay, you know it may not be true of you, but you know the person you're sitting next to. Now they have a problem, okay? They may be even sitting here. It's amazing that they're here, but I know they have a serious problem, okay? Nobody's talking about you, but we're talking about your neighbor now, okay? That, that we, we have some breakdowns in this area. I came home uh, in the first, uh, it was about the first week of June, and my son, my four-year-old, Jaden, 
came running to the door. Daddy, 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 I got to show you something. I said, okay, let me put it. No, 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 you got to come. And, and I came in the living room to behold. Well, I wanted to verbalize it, but, but it's better if you visualize it. So there in the dad's king chair in the living room, my son made his own creation. And it looked something like this. He got six of the pillows in the living room, the kind of regal-looking pillows that he pulled out. And he set them up like that, kind of leading up one, then two, then three, up to what was apparently a throne. And what he had gathered around it were all these stuffed animals, and for him it was dinosaurs and, and anacondas and, 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 you know, all kinds of wild animals. And then the coup de gras, I kid you not, you can't make this up, sitting in the chair <laughs> was his SpongeBob SquarePants personal chair. And he had a crown, and he had a book bag. And he displayed it all for me. The book bag went over his neck, and it was his robe. And he brought me into the living room, and this is what I saw. And he said, Daddy, guess what? What? I'm king. <laughs> wow, Jaden, at four. At four, that's amazing. He got his crown. He got his cape. He walked his royalness up to his chair, <laughs> sat down and began to tell me the stories of the kingdoms he had conquered because all the stuffed animals were kingdoms that he had conquered. This is the T-Rex he took out and had stuffed, and this is the alligator he took out and has in the anaconda he wrestled down. And, 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 and of course, what he had done is he'd put a chair that fits him because my chair dwarfs him. The real king's chair of the home dwarfs him. So he had to put a chair in it that fit him. And it occurred to me that that's not limited to four-year-olds. That 24-year-olds do that. And 34-year-olds, and 44-year-olds, and 54-year-olds. Jaden, as if, as if the world as he sees it, forgetting that I'm the one that actually bought the house, put everything together and made the world he's familiar with possible. He's playing king. And, and, and what do we do? We build up our kingship and our little kingdoms and we display our achievements and our trophies. And we put our own chair on the king's chair because his throne dwarfs us. So we put our own chair there. And we walk around, I'm king, I'm king. And Jaden's gonna struggle with this the whole of his life. Because as he gets older, he's gonna discover he really prefers to play king. What was even more disturbing, this was humorous, what was even more disturbing is after a half hour he came running into the kitchen, he said, Daddy, 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 I'm gonna play something else now. Phew, good. Now what are you gonna play? I'm gonna go play God makes you want to pray for me, doesn't it? I mean, at some point he had to get his mother's influence in him, so no, no, I'm just, I'm just having, no, 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 that's wrong, that's wrong. She's not here, so it's safe. And of course, I said that in the last service, and somebody said, 
it's online. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll, I'll caution, I'll pull back. But I wonder for how many of us, this right here is what's going on. Where did you get your morals? Well, where did you learn to do business? What is the basis of your marriage? What is the foundation for your values? Who told you who you are? Who set the agenda and the goals for your life right down to your day? Who directs you? Who's setting your eternity? I mean, if you're not buying in, if you're not saying that this represents you, you tell me then, who set all of that in your life? We are so lost in playing our own king role that we're unaware that that's what leads to white noise. And what the church at Antioch understood is that part of hearing God's voice requires dethroning. You see, what Antioch Church did so well is that they just kind of tore this stuff apart. and They said, you know what? It's like us to build our own throne. It's like us to build our own place. But you know what? We're going to be distinctive because we're going to be one under one king. And so they kind of dethrone themselves. They no longer. He's back on the throne. That's really what it means. He comes back on the throne. He's king. To be one is to be one under one king. And so what we have in common is we come together under that one king. And the question is, are you concealing a crown? Because sometimes we sit in places in moments like this where everybody around us says, oh, yes, I know that they're a follower. I know that they're, oh, they're in. But Tozer put it this way. Man, get a hold of this. Man will have it understood that this is his world. God is permitted to decide nothing. Man bows to him, and as he bows, manages with difficulty to conceal the crown upon his own head. You see, once you know God has a voice, you know you're going to have to dial in. And for some of us, dialing in is the breakdown. But for some, dethroning is the breakdown that we are concealing crowns and we're saying we'd love to hear from God when in fact we've demonstrated that when we hear from God, we'd prefer to go our own way. And he's waiting for us to dethrone. And just maybe this day, this service, these moments were designed by God for you to have a moment to reconsider. And what areas of your life, your marriage, your finance, your morals are you concealing the crown as if you're king in that area? You see what the church of Antioch did so well is not only dialed in and dethroned, but they kind of followed the Nike advice before it was popular. Do it. Just do it. Maybe they had it right. Just do it. It says in verse 3, and while they were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, and then verse 3 it says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas. Set them apart for me. And listen, here's it. And then it says, and they did. It literally says in the passage, and they laid hands on them, and they prayed for them, and they sent them out. Do you get this? What the Holy Spirit said is what they did. What God asked them to do, they did. It's that simple. How much of the spiritual journey is transforming when you follow the simplicity of doing exactly what God asked you to do, not correcting God, not, oh, that was a great idea. Let me tell you how I'm going to change that for you. I'm going to better your idea, God. I'm going to come close. I'll do half of what you suggested. What kind of partnership here? You, the king of kings, and then me. 
with my little kingdom, and we'll, and we'll partner here, and I'll kind of half agree with you. No, 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 we'll just do it. Just do it. And they sent them out. Now, some people don't have all of the theology together, and I'm among them. But I'll tell you what I think I understand. Many of you have heard the word Trinity. Trinity meaning three in one. The Trinity, the Godhead, one God of three distinct beings. And when you understand that, explain it to me. But that's what scripture communicates. I'm sure that if he is God, he probably lives in a dimension I don't quite understand. And I'm not sure our three-dimensional world can comprehend a three-in-one God, but that's how he has chosen to reveal himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one. So when we talk about God and you read the Old Testament, and from the beginning, let's make man in our image, we believe he's referring to the Trinity, the three, the us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you get in the New Testament, it tells us about the Father sending the Son. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. So the second person of the Trinity, the Son, came to earth, took on human flesh, and the name Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then he sent the Holy Spirit. And the church is inaugurated as the Holy Spirit comes, and he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be your counselor. Ah, back to Psalm chapter 1, huh? Where do you get your counsel? And so Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be our counselor, to awaken us spiritually so we would begin to hear his voice and if we would surrender to him to indwell us so that we would have his counsel all through our lives so that you wouldn't have to do this life on your own counsel or your own strength. It is the gift of God to the church that we might be one under his leadership. So when the Holy Spirit said, the church followed because they had the confidence that the counselor had given them direction. It's what sets us apart. How many are motorcyclists? Anybody here love the motorcycle? Okay, I'm in that group. And so I left one night and I was out, you know, just traveling through the community. I had about an hour to burn and I just wanted to go out and ride for a while, but it was late at night. And, and I left on my motorcycle and I came back in the back of a police car. Yeah. And some of you can already fill in the blanks as to what likely happened. And though those are possible given who I am, they didn't happen that way. You know what happened? My headlamp blew out. And that's the only light I have at the front. And I discovered how dark it really is out on the road. I mean, it was just treacherous. I, I, I thought, well, I'm tough enough. I'll just drive home. I can make it. I said, I pulled the bike off. I said, I'm, I'm going to wreck. I'm going to kill myself. Fortunately, a police officer pulled by and was gracious enough and gave me a ride home because it's too dangerous to drive in the dark. How many of you have walked in your kid's room at night when they're asleep in the dark barefooted? Come on now. How many of you are glad that those moments are not video recorded? <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't have good Jesus thoughts when that happens. I mean, I'm glad nobody hears what actually gets said in those moments. The first thing is not, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? <laughs> That's not what happens. I tell them, keep the stuff off the floor because I'm going to come walking in and check on you, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what if the Holy Spirit, all he was saying is this, I'm your counselor. I will be your light as you travel the road of life. Follow me. Do what I say. I'll be your light. I'll guide you to keep you from harm. And the church at Antioch said, we're in. Because maybe they knew that the Holy Spirit is like a trampoline. Yeah, that's what I said. A trampoline. How many of you have ever been on a trampoline? Come on, you've ever been on a trampoline? 
Okay, and you, and you probably never thought of this, and this is so weird, you probably never think about it again. But the Holy Spirit is like a trampoline, which means that when you jump on the trampoline, you go down, right? But it doesn't bother you to go down, because what does that mean? You're eventually gonna what? Go up. So, so really, all the going down is, is reloading to go up. Now stay with me. What if the Holy Spirit is kind of like a trampoline? What if, what if many of us have this sense that in the spiritual journey, Following God is a bit of a downer. Like there's a downside. You know what, let's just take a moment. Let's just kind of go a layer of honesty. See, most of us actually have a, an angst whenever we hear God communicate something. Let's talk about moral, sexual purity. The moment you hear about sexual purity, God sounds like a killjoy. Okay, here's what it means to be sexually pure. Well, okay, thanks God. Thanks for all the desires and no options. That's, a, that's an awesome idea. That was, that was, that was great. A huge downside, as if God doesn't have your best in mind. God talks about finances. The first fruits are mine, right off the top. The first 10% or whatever percentage you buy is, is mine. You're like, oh, thanks, God. To honor you, i got to give you the first. If you'd lived down here, you never would have said that. If you understood money, you wouldn't say that. If you knew how tough it was, you wouldn't say it. It's kind of like if you ever really followed God, it's a downer. What if, however... What if the world who doesn't really hear his voice thinks it's a downer because they can't see that it's a trampoline? What if they're so used to falling on cement that when they see us go down, they think we're gonna land on cement because they only understand gravity and they don't understand eternity? What if they don't understand the power of the Spirit that when a follower of Christ is going down in obedience, all that's really happening is he's reloading for another launch because God's gonna lift you up? What if? What if that's really what it means to trust him by faith and believe that if you follow him well, you're ultimately blessed even in moments when you feel like you're going down? Because at the end of the day, when the Holy Spirit gives you prompts that are broad for the purpose of your life or as simply as encouraging somebody else, they are either to lift you up or to lift up others. As a rule, that's what he's doing. And he does it in normal ways. When others are lifted, he's gonna lift up others in very normal ways. I mean, my wife and I, we, we don't have these... Darth Vader, God speaks to us. Oh, Kevin, Marshall. Yes, Father. He doesn't like, give us a lead and we, like we're moonwalking. I mean, maybe, maybe Brian Tome gets that, but I don't get that stuff. That's not, that's not what I get. Brian probably gets that. That's probably why, you know, it's working, whatever here. That's it. Okay, but I don't get it. You know what? We just get normal stuff. The Spirit of God prompting you all throughout the day in little ways that are actually his participation. Like we were going to Orlando. We were at the Atlanta International Airport, and we were taking off to Orlando, and this fairly complicated airport. We're in the subtrain, and, and there's a, a woman probably in her late 60s, early 70s, standing next to my wife on the train, just normal life. And she's saying to my wife, oh, I'm going to this gate. Is this the right one? Yes, it is. And that's great. And so we all got off the gate, and then we went up, went up the long, escalator that takes you into the main gate area and, and my wife about halfway up the escalator looks back and notices that this woman went down the tunnel and she's getting on the moving sidewalk and she's going the wrong way and so my is that a great oh, no just a little God prompt go take care of that woman go help her go serve her so my wife did the thing most wives do and she turned to me she says honey that woman's going the wrong way you need to go help her <laughs> And since I have learned that the voice of God and the voice of my wife are very similar, <laughs> I knew to follow. 
But I said, well, honey, I can't. We're halfway up the escalator. She's better hurry. We're losing time. I said, but honey, you better hurry. Oh! So now I'm running down the escalator, looking like a complete idiot. Excuse me, pardon me, pardon me. She's my wife. And she, you know, so down, and then I'm running down this walkway, finally to catch this lady and, and help. I think you might be going the wrong way. Oh, I don't know. Hey, yeah, yeah, I want you to bring her back. And go to, why? Just to lift her up? I think it was a God thing. I think I was just supposed to be, for the moment, following the lead of God to take care of somebody else who he loves. So, what if that's what he's doing? Many of the things that you are doing as a church, and when God gives you prompts, and you're going down to New Orleans, and, and on and on, God is simply demonstrating he's actively involved. God created us to give ourselves away, and he lifts up others through us, and he lifts you up. When the Holy Spirit invites you to follow him and follow his counsel, it is to lift you up, not take you down. And when you follow him and it feels like you're being taken down, you have to have the faith to know that all you're doing is reloading for a new launch because he will lift you up, yeah? That's what it means to follow him. Get a hold of this because let me tell you something. You never know, you never know when something's good or bad. Listen, you never know. We think we know, you know, I say we don't know. I say you never, when you follow God, you can't figure out what's good and what's bad. Let me take you all the way back in the Old Testament, the story of a young man by the name of Joseph. He's part of the nation of Israel. Israel got their name from the patriarch, Jacob. God changed his name to Israel. He had many sons through four wives. Among the four wives, he had one son, Joseph, through one particular wife. And Joseph, in that sense, was an only son. And that's bad. But not really, because God gave him a younger brother through that mom, and that's good. Not really. Not really. Because she died giving birth to Benjamin, and that's bad. But maybe some good came out of it because Joseph, Benjamin, became his dad's favorites. And so that's good. Joseph became a favorite, and he got a coat of many colors, and he was elevated by his dad, and that's good, isn't it? Not really. Because it made his brothers jealous, and when his brothers became jealous... They wanted to turn on him and take him down and take him out, so they threw him in a pit and took his coat and ripped it up, and, and they were going to end his life, and that's bad. Not really. It's a good thing they threw him in the pit because they wanted to kill him, and instead of killing him by throwing him in the pit, the older brother was going to come get him, pull him out, take him out, and say, whoo, we're going to be done with this. This is a very scary thing. So that's good. Not really, because the older brother didn't get there in time, and so they ended up selling him into slavery, and off he goes into slavery over into Egypt and sold to Potiphar, and now he's in Potiphar's household, and, and, and that's bad. Well, not really, because that's the very thing that got him into Egypt, and so that's kind of good, isn't it? Not really, because while he's in Egypt, all he's doing is being a slave, and he rises up to the level of what? The highest level of a slave? That's good, not really, that's bad. Why is that bad? Because when he rose up to the highest level of slave in Potiphar's home, the wife of Potiphar took notice of him. And, and that's bad, no, that's good. I don't know which one is it. Well, that seems like that's good. Well, no, it's actually bad because when she took notice of him, she sexually advanced on him. When she sexually advanced on him, oh, now he's under temptation, that's bad. No, that's actually good because he demonstrated he can stand under character. And so we proved that before God, I can stand and that's good. Not really because that ticked her off and so she lied about him and said he actually was the one who did this bad thing that didn't really happen that he didn't do and so he got thrown in prison that's bad no actually that's good that's good because they put him in prison he got alongside the two people who were officials of, of Potiphar or of Pharaoh big guy Pharaoh and so now as officials of Pharaoh he got to know them he had got to interpret their dreams and so interpreting the dreams he got some new friends that would eventually help him get out that's good not really because they forgot about him and so two years later he's still sitting in prison and that's bad no that's kind of good because then Pharaoh had a dream when Pharaoh had a dream nobody could interpret the dream and one of the guys remembered ah Joseph in prison he can interpret dreams he interpreted mine right that's good no that's not really good because if you stand before Pharaoh and you're wrong you're dead so that's a very scary thing to stand before Pharaoh so that's bad no actually that's good because God did allow him to interpret the dream and so 
he interpreted the dream before Pharaoh, and that was awesome. Woo, yay, everybody. No, not really, because the interpretation is there's going to be seven years of feast and seven years of famine, and that's bad. Not really, because that meant there needed to be a leader, and so Pharaoh put Joseph in charge, second in command of all of Egypt, and that's good. Not really, because it actually happened that way, and it led to the whole plunder of Egypt all the way to Canaan, where... Joseph's dad and family lived, and they were starving to death, and that's bad, not really, because that's the very thing that brought his dad and his family to Egypt in search of some who would give them food, and they ended up staying before Joseph, and they were all reunited as a family, and that's good. Yes, that is good, because Joseph said, what you meant for bad, God meant for good, because I think the Holy Spirit is like a trampoline. Therefore, therefore, men and women, listen, whatever the Holy Spirit counsels you to do, do it, even if it looks like there's a downside, because he's like a trampoline, and he will lift you up. Blessed is the man, the woman, the church, because we are no longer competing for a voice in his church. We are collectively listening to his voice, because he still speaks, yeah? So bow your heads and pray with me for a moment. For Father, we're all at different places and stages in our spiritual journey. And some in this place are the very recipients of you having sent this church out. Some in this place already know you and are walking with you. And they're aware that maybe of these things, dial in is the one they need to lean into more. Maybe you're speaking to us even now, Holy Spirit, impressing upon us some areas that need to be dethroned. Just maybe you've already spoken, God, and we failed to do the very thing you've asked. So from those, God, who are wondering, do you really have a voice, to those upon whom you are pressing deeply, follow me fully, would you give us the courage to follow you well, that we may have the blessed lives that you intended? Be gracious and patient and kind and merciful and slow to anger as you are, for we are in great need of that from you. And grant us the kindness of your blessing. I pray over these people in Christ's name. Amen.